For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, what's up, everybody? Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray from heartland-sports.com. Heartland-sports.com is the website. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in action over the weekend. Um, a very close win, uh, maybe uh, too close for comfort for the Sooners. Devastating loss for Oklahoma State, not in the fact that they're out of the running for the Big 12 championship, but I think so much was exposed with this Oklahoma State football team that it's going to be, um, it, it may be a, a long a long month or so as they try to get some adjustments made, particularly with injuries, injuries on the offensive line. Here's my question, Rich. Um, which, which, which statement, and I said this on our, our kind of our weekend recap podcast, which statement is more shocking to you? Oklahoma had to make a third quarter comeback against Baylor. I think it was like 50 seconds left when uh, when Baker Mayfield hit Jeff Bidette. So the, the fact that they had to come from behind against Baylor in the second half or the fact that Baker Mayfield only threw the ball 19 times Saturday. I mean, if I'm looking at it and answering truthfully as you're asking me to do, I'm going to say that it is Oklahoma had to make a third quarter Come from behind win, basically. And a lot of that is largely in part to the way Baylor played the first three games of the season. They returned five players for the beginning of conference play. And we got a completely different Baylor team. But the reality is we know that Oklahoma is going to get everyone's best shot there. Everyone is going to play at a higher level when they play Oklahoma than when they play someone like Kansas. So... Did we expect that from Baylor? Absolutely not. Did it happen? Yeah. Am I willing to say that they're better than that Liberty loss at this point? Absolutely. No, I think I think definitely that they're better than the Liberty loss. And I, I think they, they proved that when they they lost at Duke. I mean, they, they still lost, but they were much more competitive at Duke than they had been the first two games of the season. Which is crazy to me because Zach Smith completed like 30% of his passes in that game. That was his first start of the season. Yeah, but I mean, I think... You see the progression of a young guy, you know, mm -hmm. to from from him making his first start to really kind of having a, another full week of practice in those reps as QB one and starting to develop that chemistry with the receivers. Baylor still has those big, freakishly athletic, physical receivers that they're dealing with, and and Oklahoma. I mean, that that's always been a mismatch for Oklahoma's defense. It has always been – someone said on Twitter, and I think I agree with them, someone said on Twitter that Baylor is is Mike Stoops' kryptonite. And a lot of that has to do with the receivers that they have, um, those, those, those type of receivers. And I'm, I'm impressed with this kid at quarterback. I think the future is pretty good with him at Baylor. No? No, I, because I know you said in your in your pregame, you know, you talked about the days of Bryce Petty and uh, right. all those and, all and those Baylor quarterbacks that you know have gone on. I don't see anything. I did not see anything from Zach Smith that makes me think he does not fit that mold. I'll give you that point, but the expectation for me heading into that game was that Baylor, after seeing what Zach Smith did against Duke. The low completion percentage, getting a guy like Terrence Williams back, I fully expected Oklahoma struggles against Tulane with a rushing attack. I fully expected Baylor to come in and run the ball more times than they threw it. That was a far cry from what actually happened in the game. Zach Smith throws the ball 50 times. Unexpected. They rushed the ball like 
Um, I've actually got it right here. They rushed the ball 35 times. Yeah, but how many of those were, were uh, what's his face? Seven were from Zach Smith. No, not Zach. The, the running back. I'm blanking on his name. Levitt Williams? No, the other one. The one that came back, Terrence Williams. Yeah. Yeah, how, how, how many times did he, he carry he the ball? He carried the ball 11 times. Levitt carried it 13. I, You know, here's the thing for me, though. To me, I, well, going back to the, the initial question, the biggest factor, the biggest shocker here for me is that Baker Mayfield only attempted 19 passes. Not me. No, no, because think <laughs> We're about that. opposite sides Yeah, that, that's okay, but but think about it. They had to come from behind to mm-hmm. win this game. And if you're, if you're putting Oklahoma in a come-from-behind position, to me that means Baker Mayfield's slinging the ball. But they didn't. They, they went with it on the ground. And the ground game was there all night long. Yeah. What you got Abdul Adams going 99 yards in the first quarter. You got what Trey Sermon did in the fourth quarter. That was there. And I liked what Lincoln Riley said after the game about just kind of losing his way a little bit. But to me, again, I'm thinking, okay, you, you, you're coming, you're, you're behind. Baylor scored like 20 unanswered points on Oklahoma. You, you've lost your way on offense. The default is to go to Baker Mayfield. To me, it would have been. So that's why I'm shocked that Baker only threw it. Now, I'm not as shocked as much they had to come from behind on the road in the Big 12 as I am that Baker Mayfield only threw the ball 19 times. Like I said, man, I, I see your point. I just, I'm just i going to sit on the opposite side of the fence with you. Put honestly. Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan in this backfield, and you're okay. I, I get it. But, I mean, I, I think it's a, a, t- a testament to the quality and the depth of this backfield. There's not a Samaj P. Ryan. There's not a Joe Mixon here. But there's quality depth there. And, and this backfield, I believe, is deeper than they were last year. Without, I mean, you, you had two stars. Who's, I mean, again, it's the ongoing weekly debate. <laughs> that, Who's the exactly, star? That's what I was going to ask you. When <laughs> when Oklahoma comes back from the bye week, if I had to guess that there's a starter, it it's extremely hard to say Abdul Adams did something to remove himself from a starting role. But it's also hard for me to say Trey Sermon doesn't deserve to be the starter. Come what is it, October seventh? Is that Saturday? Yeah. Um. And so when we look at the schedule, knowing Iowa State is ahead, I really don't expect us to know any more than what we do currently. Um, I do think Abdul Adams, I think Trey Sermon, those two guys have separated themselves from the rest of the group, and they will be one, two. In what order? I don't know. But I, I definitely think at this point in time, those two guys have separated themselves, um, and they're ahead above a guy like Rodney Anderson as well as Marcel. Well, Rodney Anderson didn't even touch the field Saturday, did he? I, I, I don't remember uh, him being in the game. Here's what I want to know about the running back. That more, than I, more than who is going to be that starter, I want to know how they figure out what order these running backs go in the game. So let's go back to your shocked question. Okay. Trey Sermon enters the game in the fourth quarter. Right. And gets his first carry. How? If you're if you're in a if you're a coach on this staff, do you do you do the same thing? I mean, that's a guy who's who has literally stood on the sideline for three quarters. If I'm now. Trey Sermon, I'm not happy about that. By the way, <laughs> I'm just saying, if I'm Trey Sermon, I started two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. No, it was a week ago against Tulane. Didn't he start? He he started. Abdul Adams started Ohio State. Uh-huh. Trey Sermon started Tulane. Mm-hmm. So I started last week against Tulane, and now I don't even see the field until the fourth quarter. I'm not happy about that if I'm Trey Sermon, but yeah. everyone's happy with Trey Sermon's performance. They are, and you know, I, here's the thing: I don't know if uh, you you saw this or not, but do you know how many do you know how many missed tackles Trey Sermon had? How many times he made a defender miss him? Hmm. Twelve times. There were twelve defenders that tried to so, over the course of his carries. There were twelve defenders who tried to tackle him and failed. Do you know how many times he carried the ball? Yeah, twelve times. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I it, it, you talk about you know a beast mode type performance. That's what you got from Trey Sermon. So was was it him sitting on the sideline that long? You're saying you would be mad. Were we seeing a little bit in the his style of running? What was he playing with this rage? Playing on this edge, as people like to call it. No, I think he was playing angry. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Which I, is a good thing for him. I, I think I, it is. I, I think there's there's two things 
that make a a running back great. Running backs can be good on talent, but I think there's two mental aspects that make them great. One of them is playing out of anger, and one of them is playing scared. Now, now hear me out on this. Um, Adrian Peterson was a guy who played out of anger. If you tried to tackle Adrian Peterson, it made him mad. He was going to punish you for trying to tackle him. I mean, how many times do you remember Adrian Peterson over his career? How many times do you remember him trying to avoid contact? I, I remember even in the, in the NFL, I remember his rookie year, um, the Vikings went to him and said, dude, you've got to stop. Run out of bounds. We want to protect you. We want you to have a long career. Adrian Peterson is angry that you're trying to tackle him. And we saw that from Trey Sermon. The, the other thing is that, you know, Barry Sanders, who, I mean, don't get mad at me, Oklahoma fans, but Barry Sanders, in my opinion, the greatest running back to play football. And he, he's on record saying he didn't like to get hit. What made him so elusive? What made him the greatest of all time? He didn't like to get hit. He was scared to get hit. Quentin Griffin was the same way. He was a shifty little guy because he didn't like taking hits. But it's that talent and using that mentality that I don't want to get hit, so I'm going to literally run circles around you, or I'm angry at you, or I'm angry at the situation. I do believe that Trey Sermon had something to prove. And and it, much like Abdul Adams. Think about the Tulane game. Abdul Adams was a starter in the biggest game of the season, loses that job because he fumbles, never comes back in the game. It was Trey Sermon after that. And then when he got in with Tulane, I, I, he earned the job back. Trey Sermon was very ineffective against Tulane, but Abdul Adams ran strong. And even, again, go back to Sutton's touchdown in that game and look at the block that Abdul Adams delivers to get Sutton into the end zone. So Sutton, uh, I mean, Adams had something to prove. And now if they can figure out that, that perfect combination of using these guys, one of them's angry, one of them's trying to prove himself, and keep that, you know, keep that mindset, these guys are going to be fun. And, and i got to give you credit for calling the running game to be what it was. I, I didn't think we'd get this out of the running game, but you had a lot more confidence in it than I did. So, I, again, I, if, I'm, if I'm Trey Sermon – I'm not happy that I got it. I didn't get in the game until the fourth quarter. If I'm the coaches, I'm happy that he runs well when he's angry, and I'm going to try to figure out how to make him angry every Saturday. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is letting him ride the pines for a little bit. I don't know. But, I mean, you got to be careful how often you make yeah. a kid angry as well and make sure, you know, I mean, I, I don't see all four of these running backs finishing their careers at Oklahoma. I don't either. And I think right now, I mean, just – to Which, start rumors, <laughs> let's do it. That the guy on the outside looking in has to be Rodney Anderson, doesn't it? The reality of the situation for me, when you say, um, and I, I agreed immediately, but I'm kind of second guessing that because uh, initially I would have said, yeah, absolutely. There, there is a lot of depth. That's one thing that we'll consistently talk about throughout the season. But I think what we're missing here when we talk about someone potentially transferring is that Rodney Anderson's already missed two seasons. Marcellius Sutton just transferred in. Isn't he a junior? Yeah. I mean, where, where, Marcellius Sutton, where is he going to go? Um, I'm not saying that he can't. I, I don't think, I, 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 I don't think he leaves. I, I, I don't either. I, I think, think if of, someone leaves, it's going to be Rodney Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a comment on Facebook. Uh, Marcus Smith says Baylor's defense had a three man front in that fourth quarter. They literally gave up 10 yards to build up speed. Let's see what Trey Sermon does against a real defense. Uh, and I know Marcus; he's a good friend of mine. But is not is a, was Ohio State not a real defense? I mean, I mean what, they, what did he do against Ohio State? He was the strongest runner that Oklahoma put on the field against Ohio State, and I would consider that to be a real defense. And Ohio State was touted as before the loss; they were being touted as the best defensive line with potentially all four, if not just three, of those guys going going in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, because they've lost, people have quickly shifted and given that label to Clemson. Um, and I think Clemson's very worthy. Oh, you're Alabama, coming, and, I, and I love the fact that Alabama you're coming around on Clemson worthy. finally. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we had this discussion last week. Um, the reality of the situation is, yeah, I agree that Ohio State always fields a legitimate defense who more, I mean, just like Alabama, who more than carries their their uh, fair share of the weight or the responsibility in winning games. So when I look at programs like Alabama, 
when I look at programs like Ohio State, I'm not extremely impressed with their offense. But it's their defense that consistently gives the offense a chance to actually put points on the board, eventually winning them the game. Yeah, I mean, but the the question is, is I mean, I still think Ohio State mm-hmm. is the best defense Oklahoma has seen. Yeah. And Trey Sermon was phenomenal. Um, I, I, I going back to again full circle again. Who starts? If I'm Lincoln Riley and I'm Kel Gundy and I'm trying to figure out what guy I'm putting out there first, to me it's it's a no brainer that's Abdul Adams. And the reason why is because Adams is good at the start, and and Trey Sermon's your closer. You know, if you to let's go to baseball terms, Adams is your starter, Sutton's your middle reliever, and then you bring Sermon in there to close. And and we saw something like that against Ohio State. We saw Sermon not really get out of the gate fast against Tulane. I, I think that's the way I would run it. That, that, that's that's my that's my I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a heavy dose of Abdul Adams at the front. I'm gonna give Trey Sermon. Uh, the heavy dose on the on the back end, and somewhere in there is going to be Marcellia Sutton kind of spelling the two guys. That's the way I'm using these guys if I'm if I'm a coach, but I'm not a coach. But that's that's the way I would do it. You know what I'm saying? Do you think just looking at this group of running backs, if you were to put the label on the most complete running back right now, who who would you give that label to? Like most all around. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem for me is I asked this question because I initially would have said Abdul Adams, hands down, after I, I, the two-lane game. I mean, I, I but, think – but see, that's, that's a trick question because Adams and, and, and Sermon are two different types of runners. Yeah, but I'm saying – But who, they both who, receive – they both exactly, catch well. and that's I mean, what I'm you, saying. You've got Adams I, with the catch against Tulane for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Sermon with the catch – um, a, against um, Ohio State for the touchdown. So I think they, I think they're both pretty complete. They're just different style running backs. They are, and you do have to use them in the receiving game. Well, yeah, um, I mean that's a spread so, offense. So when when I'm looking at it, you know, I wouldn't have said that about Trey Sermon coming in. I think he's done a lot for, in my opinion at least, to kind of dispel some of these ideas that I had formed about him based off of. Um, reports recruiting wise or what he's done on the field and what we've seen him do, which is, is that downfield powerful running back? I mean, what is he? Six one. I don't know. Two fifteen. He's, he's, he's big. I mean, he's, he's probably the biggest of the group. Well, I think he's the, like <laughs> height wise for sure. Yeah. But I mean, Adams is thick. I don't know if you've seen him recently, but he's, he's thicker than he was last year. It's just Adams has that burst, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this is why I think it works well to have Sermon as in that clo- closer role because Adams has that burst. At, at the very beginning when everyone's fresh, Adams can burst through there and get you five, six yards. Right. Sermon needs to build up speed. You know, he's fast. Look, look at his run against Baylor the other night. He's fast, but he, he has to build up speed, you know. Um, and so that's why I think he, he's good once the defense is worn down because he's not going to give you that quick burst right at the beginning. And, I, and maybe that's what the problem was against Tulane is he, he doesn't hit that gap quite as quickly as Adams or even Sutton would, but he's a, a more physical a physically imposing running back, and he can still do that versatility where he can take the ball on a direct handoff, he can roll out the backfield, and you can hit him in the flat, or he can even get the seam. Um, so I, I think all those running backs, well, I say all those, I, we haven't really seen Sutton take on that role yet, but I, I, I think when you're talking about Adams and uh, both of these guys, I, I think they can do that. So I, I, I don't know if I would say one of them is a more complete running back than the other, I would say that they're both different in their running styles, and they're both versatile. That's how I would say it. Works for me. Works for you. Yeah, it works for me. Um, I'm I'm looking uh I'm looking at comments uh again. Marcus Smith says Adams fits more of what OU wants to do, and and he would know more about that situation. I'm not going to reveal uh, that whole situation with him and uh and, and what he knows about Oklahoma and their running backs, but. But I, I, but I mean, I see what he's saying as far as the speed that Adams brings in with that burst. But I, I don't know that you really, outside of that that initial burst, I don't know that you lose a lot with Adams in 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 Sermon. Um, if you had if you were to flop him, 
but I think that initial burst is really what is what you want from your starting running back mm-hmm. where he can hit that gap, you know, in, in, in a snap, so to speak. I just snapped my finger to yeah. emphasize let, that let, point. Let's, um, I'm going to flip gears on you. Um, one of the reasons why I'm going to switch gears is because at the beginning of the season, I think there was a lot of hype surrounding a guy like Rodney Anderson. We're four games through the season at this point. We're a third of the way through, and we're seeing that that – Anderson isn't necessarily having the impact many people expected him to as being a guy who is a third year in the system, um, who's had that experience around the program and the weight room, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to look at the receivers because entering this season, I don't know that there were hardly any expectations for that group. And now to see what we've gotten on the field, you talk about... There was, wait, sorry, expectations for the receivers? Receivers, yeah. Yeah, I disagree on that. I think there okay. were expectations. Okay, such as? Well, you got Mark Andrews, and he was the guy that people kind of thought would be that go-to receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, Jeff you Bidette, especially thought that. Jeff Bidette came in with a lot of accolades, and, and the, the, the knock against Jeff Bidette was, yeah, he did that. Against the SEC, let's see what happens when he gets into defenses that are built for speed. And I don't think Jeff Bidette has been has been a disappointment at all. I don't either. And, and let me ask you this: I, I was even actually shocked a little bit when he catches that touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield. Once the reality hit me that that was his first touchdown of the season, he's been so active in this in this offense. That I was like, wait, he's that's the first time he's scored. Um, and, and then CD Lamb had a lot of hype. So. Um, I don't know that they said there weren't any expectations. The expectation was this: this group's got to find a way mm-hmm. to, to to pick up where last year's group left off, especially losing a guy like Dede Westbrook. But the expectation was there that they would do something because you, I mean, you was can't. What well, you have, you have to, it, it has to be. Here's the reason why it has to be because you have a Heisman front runner at a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going in saying you know Baker has to be that front runner. Well, you can't have a Heisman Trophy quarterback if you don't have a good group of receivers. But as we saw via social media, there was a lot of doubt that surrounded the receivers specifically. And you, you'll you go back because I know you recall this. No, I do. But I think that that was a knock against there's that, that speed. They're, they don't have that playmaker like Aditi Westbrook. I think the expectation was there would be a bunch of possession receivers where a guy, you know, he he runs good routes, he he gets a little bit of an edge, he gets his shoulder around, and is able to make a catch and immediately tackle. Those are possession guys. And I think Baker's defense was, no, 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 no. you don't know what we have, but you're about to find out. We've got Mm -hmm. speed guys. And Baker Baker was absolutely right. I mean, this crop of receivers, much like the the running backs – is a really good group of receivers, and the fact that you've got a guy like C.D. Lamb, who's who's a youngster, it only gives you, you know, more excitement for for next year. Now, I've, I've so, go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm no, hijacking no, no, your, no, no, your you're, point. You're good because what I was looking at was Marquise Brown wins newcomer of, of the week last week. Yeah, I've got I've I, I've got <laughs> thoughts on Marquise Brown, but go ahead. Okay, so but you had. Baker Mayfield won. I thought Trey Sermon was newcomer of the week. He was this week. Oh, you Marquise talking about the week. Brown was uh, okay. last yeah, week. Yeah, you're talking about Baker Mayfield okay. was the, the two gotcha. weeks prior, okay. not newcomer, but offensive player of the week. And so we're looking at all these offensive weapons, and they're – I'm just – for me personally, again, I didn't have the same opinion that you did. And I was looking at the receiver saying, okay, this is a, a, an entire group of newcomers minus Mark Andrews. So Mark Andrews, yeah, he'll be the big target. He'll be – the most targeted receiver throughout the entire season. I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore. Um, and I don't know that that was ever going to be the case. It was just right. my expectation because I didn't know what we had in these newcomers, including Jeff Bidette. So you have these three guys, Brown, Bidette, Lamb, have never caught a pass from Baker Mayfield in competition before. Mm-hmm. So, Again, expectations-wise, I, I just didn't think that there was any pressure on them, and it's really allowed them to come into their own um, and not have to say, well, we aren't living up to what many people thought we would or maybe we're exceeding those, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, because there weren't any, I think, we're seeing the product that well, we well, see you, now. You know what the um, wild card is in all this, right? No. What makes it all click? No. Is Dimitri Flowers. Because you... 
uh, think about this for a second. You, you've got that mismatch with, mm-hmm. with Mark Andrews. When we saw that in his touchdown catch against Baylor, that was just – there's nothing that defender could have done. Mark Andrews was too big, too strong for a, for a, a defensive back to, to handle, and he's too fast for a linebacker to handle. Mark, Mark Andrews – people don't get this really by seeing him on television. Mark Andrews is a big dude. When, when, I, when I think of the, the imposing – Guys with their size on this football team. The first guy is Orlando Brown. I mean, the, Orlando Brown is a is a modern giant. But next, the, the the next man that's physically imposing on this team is Mark Andrews. If if you don't get to go see this team up close and personal, look for those moments on the field on screen where Mark Andrews is standing next to a guy like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a normal sized human being. <laughs> He is. But look at him against a Jeff Bidette. Look at him against Marcellus Sutton. He's huge. He is a physically gifted human being when you talk about size. And so, I mean, I, I, I like what, what, you, what you get out of him. He's that go-to guy. But but here you, you've got that mismatch in Mark Andrews. You've got the speed mismatch with Jeff Bidette. You've got that tweener speed possession guy in C.D. Lamb. And just when you sell out to try to get that combination covered, here comes Dimitri Flowers. And so you've got to spy or have someone who's – anytime Dimitri Flowers is in the game, someone has – whether you're going to roll a zone or you're going to bring a safety up or give him linebacker coverage. And Dimitri Flowers almost fits in that Mark Andrews category where linebacker it's – it's a tough draw for linebackers. So you've got four options there that Oklahoma didn't have last year. Last year, everyone in the world knew the ball was going to D.D. Westbrook. And that's what made what D.D. did through October into November. That, that's what made him so special. Everyone knew he was getting the ball. And he still did what he did. But you don't know. I mean, there's four options, four legitimate options. And the minute you think you've got the big three covered, here comes Dimitri Flowers with a score. And so I, I think you have to attribute you have to attribute what's going on with this receiving core a lot of that goes to to the threat that Demetri Flowers poses. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, let me let me throw before we uh, before we switch gears on offense. Let me throw something out there at you. Um, and I, I mentioned this um, yesterday on just our, our general uh, podcast that went out actually Tuesday. Um, quick thought here: the more impressive freshman on the offensive side of the ball, C.D. Lamb or Trey Sermon? Just just from Saturday? No, no. It take in, in yeah, take, um, Saturday is Trey Sermon. But you take in the season, who has been more impressive? I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb <laughs> on this one. Um, and a lot of that goes back to just the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at what C.D. Lamb has been able to accomplish as a freshman. You look at some of the um, catches that he has made, the concentration level that you don't necessarily expect from a freshman, I, I know I wrote a post um, that was just comparing the Denzel Mims catch to the right. C.D. Lamb catch and, and asking which one of these was the better catch of the night. And so I just don't expect a lot of those things from a freshman, mm-hmm. whereas Trey Sermon has an equally impressive resume, um, a guy of his size, of his strength. Um, I don't think we've seen that really which isn't this far back since Samaj P. Ryan, who came in and had this strength and this ability about him that you're not accustomed right. to seeing from freshmen. And those are typically labeled as the once-in-a-decade kind of guys. Um, and so I, it's it really is a toss-up, but I'm going with C.D. Lane. The thing about P. Ryan, just throwing this out there, is he was deceptively fast. P. Ryan had better speed than what a lot of people thought he had. Um and, and think about this with C.D. Lamb. Imagine if he was not ejected against against Tulane. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, if he if he was able to play a complete game or as much as the starters played in that game, um, I, I think it would. It, it's extremely close now between the two. I mean, they're they're both gifted. They're both impact players. Extremely close as it is. Um, but it would be even that much closer had he played a full game against Tulane. Um, Oklahoma wins against Baylor. Sooners uh, move to four and zero on the season. Um, what, what, uh, 
I don't know know where to start with the defense. Forty nine forty one. Jordan Parker. I mean Thomas. Well, before you even get to Jordan Thomas in the game, uh, he, he. I think we cursed him. By the way, you remember last week mm-hmm. when we were doing this podcast? I said, "Hey, you know what? We haven't heard Jordan Thomas's name." Yeah. And we talked about that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we heard his name a whole lot Saturday yes, night. Um, I, I think you. I. I I think you look at three factors here on the defense. I think the first factor you have to, I mean, you have to consider is injury, right? Mm-hmm. You, you look at Matt so, Romar not being in there, and I think Will Johnson in the secondary. I, I don't know that Matt Romar's absence had any oh, I do. say on the I do. defense. I do. I think I think it does um, because you're not you're not getting that initial push, and even, and even with Lampkin in there, you don't you you think there's this giant gap? yeah absolutely okay. for sure. Not, not, I mean, again, not a knock against Devontae Lampkin, but I, there's just there's a big difference between Lampkin and Romar. Okay. Um, and I, I, to me, the, the two times this season that the defense has looked the worst, that opening drive against UTEP, and then, um, well, three times. Opening drive against UTEP, the first couple of drives for Tulane, Tulane had, and all night Saturday. The, the key factor there is... Is you don't have Matt Romar in there, and and where that makes a difference is is it makes a difference in what your safeties do, because Matt Romar is that that guy who clogs up the middle, and so your safeties have to pay more attention to the running game, because you don't have that guy in there who's gonna who's gonna open up those lanes for the linebackers to play gap assignments. I mean, you you have to give more attention to to what your your running game is if you're a safety. So I think Matt Romar has a big deal to do with that. I think Will Johnson, I think he's missed more than people uh, expected him to be missed. So that's the first factor is injury. The second factor I, I look at it is experience. Um, when, when you look at this is Oklahoma, their first shot at a Big 12 offense. The, the first three offenses they played were vastly different than what Baylor brought to the table. You know, uh, UTEP was different. Ohio State was extremely different. Tulane, you won't see another offense like Tulane all season long, but this was it. This is your first shot at that spread, quick strike attack. And I wasn't a big fan of, of what Mike Stoops did by having the defensive backs drop so far in coverage, especially on third and short. I've never been a fan of that. If you have NFL caliber cornerbacks, which everyone says Oklahoma does, then press them. You know, bring them on third mm-hmm. and short. Bring those guys up. If they're NFL caliber quarterback cornerbacks, they shouldn't get on third and six. They shouldn't be lined up eight yards deep. That's just my opinion. Again, right. I'm not a coach. I'm not paid to coach. Um, but I just if, if you're an NFL guy, which people say Jordan Thomas is, um, you know, Parnell Motley is shaping up to be even better than Jordan Thomas. If you listen to what everyone's saying, then why are you playing them eight yards deep on third and six? That I, I don't get that. Um, press them third and six, make the quarterback go to his second or third option. And what when, when the quarterback has to go to second, third read, you have more time. To me, what that says is we don't feel like our defensive line can get to the quarterback before he makes his second or third read. That's the way I read that. And so, I, I, I mean, think about it. You're a quarterback. You need six yards, and you see a defensive back lined up, Eight to ten yards deep. What do you do? Because a defensive back, <laughs> his first job is always going to be to backpedal. Mm-hmm. So he may be eight to ten yards deep at the snap. Well, by the time the quarterback, the ball gets in his hand, he's 13 to 15 yards deep. You only need six. So you run to the sticks, you turn around, and there's the pass. Yeah. I, I've never got that. And I'm a Mike Stoops fan. I'm not I'm not a Mike Stoops basher. I think Mike Stoops is uh, always the, the easy scapegoat well, because you look at what Brent Venables is doing in uh, Clemson, and I think it, it makes it makes people it, it makes him the easy target when things don't go right. But I don't get that as Matt, far as the defense. Go ahead. I'm going to go back to one thing that you said, and it's that Baylor's receivers have always been Mike Stoops' kryptonite. They have been, um, and that I, I think we saw that there was a a very specific play, and I know this is. Baylor's playing from behind at this point in time, and they're looking to get that first down. And it's, I believe we're talking about the same play. I couldn't tell you when it happened. I couldn't tell you what, what yard line it was at. But I do remember, um, and I looked up, and I said to my brother, I said this. I said, watch the top of the screen because when um, Jordan Thomas 
is playing with that that cushion. Mm-hmm. I said Baylor's going to get the first down off of that receiver right there. Right. And so sure enough, they snap the ball. He runs hard and then just puts the brakes on, turns around, ball comes right to him, first down. I mean, he didn't get a lot of extra yardage. No, but, it but he, gets, he continues the yeah, drive. Yeah, he continues that drive, which is huge. Um, and so I don't get it either. Baylor, I, I think, has some extremely speedy receivers. But one of the things I wanted to look at was, is Jordan Thomas injured? Um, we saw him on that kickoff uh, where he's running down the field. He's the guy who his lane is now open because mm-hmm. he's laying on the ground and we see a 40-something yard return. Right. Well, Jordan Thomas just laying there it may have been a punt. Um, that was his lane. And then the next thing we know Well, he was crawling. Give him credit. He wasn't just laying there. He was crawling. He was trying to get The, the next thing... I don't think I saw he that at crawling, all. Yeah. It was crawling, It was a he, holding of an he's ankle He's on the ground and, and he's rolling. Kind of, well, the, the holding of the ankle <laughs> happened after the guy ran by him. But he's still crawling. He's still so, trying. But, but then, I mean, it wasn't too much later that he's covering a, a route, a receiver, and he just falls down again. Well, holds that same ankle. He's clearly hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, he and even Lincoln Riley said it. They said it's an ankle sprain. Now, whether it's a high ankle sprain or a low grade sprain, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, it's something that you 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 stay off of it this week or in the bye. You take a light week of practice next week, mm-hmm. uh, and then you hit uh, Iowa yeah, State. That but. Game. But he was struggling before that. He was. I mean, he, I, he struggled. Saying, I, I don't think you can say, well, he was hurt, and that's why the struggles came. No, mm-hmm. he he struggled before that. And and what I where I think, I mean, I hate to say this because I'm I'm high on Jordan Thomas, but where I think Jordan Thomas struggles is in in the physicality of the game. Um, I, he's a great cover guy, and and this is the, the only way you can make this comparison is in this area. But I mean. Again, you're a baby, so you don't remember Deion Sanders. But Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders was a great cover guy. But if you needed someone to be physical, Deion Sanders was not that man. And Deion Sanders struggled with physical receivers. And I think Jordan Thomas does as well. I think, I think he struggles against a physical guy. And Baylor doesn't have just one. They had three. Big physical guys, and that that just doesn't play towards mm-hmm. Jordan Thomas's strength. Well, and, and I will say, I did notice. I don't know if you if you took notice of this, but Denzel Mims was lighting up the secondary, um, and yeah. so they eventually switched Parnell Motley. They switched sides of the field, right? Um, and so Motley was all of a sudden on Mims, and it didn't last very long. They switched him right back. Um, I don't know the reasoning for that. I, I don't know what the the thought process. Was in that maybe it was a okay? We need to give Thomas a break well, and Thomas, then we'll switch him back. Thomas, I mean, you you saw Norwood in there twice mm-hmm. in, t- in two different stints, and that's probably I'm I'm guessing that's when that happened is when you bring in a true freshman and trade Norwood. So you've got to yeah, but got, it's not like Chris Platt's any easier to cover. No, I mean that's what I'm saying. It's, so. it's just, it was the and that's what I, I was talking about the three things. You have the injury situation. You have the, your first look against the spread offense this season, and then you have I mean Baylor's. Receivers were freakishly good, mm-hmm. and you you've got a young quarterback who's finally found his stride. Now here's what you got to watch for: Does Baylor go and fall on their face? Now that they put, I mean, did they put all their eggs in this basket? And and how do they rebound from the loss? If they go back out and 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 put out another Liberty type performance, then that makes this loss look even worse. But if Baylor can go out there and remain competitive for their for the last eight weeks of the season. Then, then you kind of say, okay, I, I get that. But what Oklahoma's got to figure out is Alan Lazard is a big physical receiver. Now, fortunately for Iowa State, they've just got one and Alan Lazard. But then, <laughs> then you, you look at the, the schedule. You got with TCU. TCU's not only got good receivers; they're balanced. I think TCU and Oklahoma are the two most balanced teams in the in the conference. And and we'll get into Oklahoma State here in just a second, but. The, the what what was the the nail in the coffin for Oklahoma State was balance. TCU went into that game averaging 270 yards in the air, 230 yards on the ground. Oklahoma's got to figure out how to. What do you do? Uh, you, you've got. I mean, Texas has big physical receivers, and so you you've got a schedule full of of teams that are coming that have kind of what Baylor has, and you can't you can't night in and night out. Play with fire because you know what the, the what the saying goes. Eventually, you're going to get burned, and so I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I Oklahoma needs Jordan Thomas back. They need him healthy 
But one of the things that we said, especially after Jordan Parker went down, is the depth becomes an issue in the secondary because you got true freshmen now. Mm-hmm. And we saw Trey Norwood in the game. Uh, apparently he's the next man up. Uh, but, you, man, you just you, – as talented as this freshman class is, you don't want to rely on them to get you to the championship. You want to rely on those guys that have already paid their dues, so to speak, and have that experience. Um, other thoughts on, on Oklahoma before we, we flip, no, flip gears? Um, we're we're not, 40 minutes in, which is not, great. Good good not, conversation. Not I'm not sorry. Really, um, yeah, I, I'm not letting I, you talk, and I don't I know, know why. I know. I know. You said, hey, you got something to <laughs> say. Um, I, I did want to revisit the the Matt Romar conversation okay. that we're having. And him not being available, um, as I said, I don't think it had as big of an impact. And so I, I just wanted to ask you the quick question. With Matt Romar on the field, what kind of an impact do you expect? Um, stat intangible, something on paper that we can actually measure. What do you expect if Matt Romar is back on the field? Right. Well, what's that number? Well, I, I, I mean, don't, What do I need to I, I, don't, I don't think there's a stat line specifically for Matt Romar. I'm just trying to prove you wrong. No, I, I mean, and, and, so. and I could be wrong. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, it's 11 guys on the field, mm-hmm. and they all need each other. But when you when you have if I had a marker board I'd draw for you to help out. But okay, so you know what a gap is, right? Mm-hmm. So what your line you want your linebackers to play gap sound defense, right. meaning you know it, one of them is going to drop in coverage, one of them may come after the quarterback, but those other two linebackers in a three four scheme or four three scheme, they they've got they've got responsibilities in those gaps, and sometimes you bring a safety up to take a gap. What Matt Romar does is he takes gaps away because he's such a physical presence there that you typically have to have two guys take care of him. And so what that does is, is if, if your center and your guard are taking on Matt Romar, well, then you've just removed a gap. And so you can drop that linebacker back. You can speed rush him, whatever that, op- that hole opens up. You, you can do lots of things with your linebackers. To help both in run stop and pass pass stop, and when you're able to do more with your linebackers, it, it trickles down. You're able to do more with your defensive backs. Your safeties can stay back because you've got your linebackers taking care of everything up front. But when when you don't have that guy who can take on a double team regularly, and you get blockers, your offensive linemen all of a sudden your guards are downfield blocking linebackers. Then, then you've got a you've got a lot of trouble in the running game because if, if if your offensive line is able to get downfield in the running game, that means you're having a really good running game. Mm-hmm. And if your offensive line is able to plug those gaps and 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 stop pass rushers, then you're having a really good passing game. What Matt Romar does is he disrupts all of that because of his size, because of his strength. He typically requires two guys. And so if you want to see something on film, something that will never be never be listed in the stat book, mm-hmm. when Matt Romar comes back, watch on any given down how many blockers it takes to stop him. And in those plays where it takes two blockers to contain Matt Romar, it's, the chances are high that it's going to be a good defensive play for Oklahoma because of what the linebackers and safeties are able to do in response to that. So it's not gonna it's not gonna show up on the stat line as, as a tackle right, or an right. assist, I'm, I'm but it's gonna thinking, show up on the X's and O's. I'm just thinking, is it tackles for loss that we benefit? Well, typically, it, typically here's what's gonna happen: less rushing yards. Yeah. Well, what you're gonna look at is there's gonna be if you want something on the stat line, mm-hmm. here's what you're gonna find: you're gonna find fewer rushing yards. You're probably gonna find tackles for loss because the linebackers are able to get in there and running plays, and you're probably gonna find a lower quarterback completion percentage. Okay. That's that's what I would look for. Okay. So, I mean, just we'll try it out against Iowa State. By the way, I was on the record saying I didn't think Matt Romar should play mm-hmm. against uh, against Baylor. I, I think he's one of those guys where you need him healthy. And if there's still any doubt, I rest him against Iowa State as well. Because then you've got that gauntlet coming up on your schedule where you've got, you know, of your, of your last six games, you've got Texas, Kansas State, TCU, and Oklahoma State, and West Virginia – Five of those six games, you know what I'm saying. So if if there's anything, if there's any, if I'm if I'm looking at Jordan Thomas, I'm looking at Will Johnson, I'm looking at Matt Romar, and I have any doubt in my mind that they're 100. percent Hey, maybe he's 95. percent I'm not playing him against Iowa State. I, I take my chances on another shootout type win because I want those guys for that gauntlet of the back half of the schedule. 
Because the only the only give me so so to speak is is Kansas on the back half of the schedule. So I I don't play them again if if there's any doubt in my mind that they're not healthy. Um, Oklahoma State thoughts. Um, not I don't have as many thoughts about Oklahoma State as I do for for TCU, and a lot of that was because heading into the season. Well, you're all listening all years, man. Well, because I want to hear what you're going to say about TCU. <laughs> TCU. I, I'm, I, I think I'm about to hear a confession. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no I don't I, think you're going to hear a confession. Um, more so than you're going to hear a recognition. Okay? That's the same thing. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> so check it out. Um, with Kenny Hill, uh, watching him play at Texas A&M, he had that fast start to the season. Mm-hmm. And then everything came crashing down for him. Transfers to TCU, and every single season when stuff goes right, Kenny Hill found a way to screw things up. Um, and that's just been his persona mm-hmm. since joining the Big 12. So it's hard for me, just because it's the beginning of a new season, for me to say, okay, well, those issues are gone. That That's not Kenny Hill anymore. Those issues, to me, should still exist. And I think against Oklahoma State, we really saw a turning of the page. We saw Kenny Hill turn into a guy who actually managed the game and played with maturity and poise that we haven't seen him play with before. He played like um, an upperclassman. He did. Which, again, I expected that last season from him, and it, it didn't happen. Um, so needless to say, Kenny Hill, I think, has made tremendous progress, which has allowed TCU to become the team that they are today um, and allowed them to pull off that upset in Stillwater. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it was the perfect storm for Oklahoma State. And, and I, I don't think Oklahoma State defensively or offensively is as bad as what we saw on, on Saturday. When I when I look at that game and I and I watched it, um, the biggest takeaway for me, the biggest thing, when if I'm if I'm Mike Gundy and I'm the coaching staff and I look at the film, the the first thing I'm saying we got to correct is the turnovers. Mm-hmm. You and and Mason Rudolph. When I did the Fox Radio this morning, we we talked about Mason Rudolph and Mason Rudolph is not falling in the Heisman race because Oklahoma State lost. You've seen guys come off a loss and still have that respect because they throw for 500 well, yards or Lamar whatever. Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, what, um, three losses, right? On their so record? the reason why Mason Rudolph is falling in the Heisman race is because of turnovers. Mm-hmm. He keeps turning the ball over, and which, and people, by the way, baffles me because Sam Darnold, same way. Yeah, but he's falling too. I think Sam Darnold will eventually come back around because USC is going to have another signature win. But there's just, I mean, who, who's you think who, it comes this weekend? I don't know who are they playing this weekend. Washington State. No, I, that I mean, that ranked. could be fun. That could be a shootout. But you know, they're, they're, I'm thinking Oregon, and of course Oregon lost over the weekend. Um, but um, I mean, just the the Pac-12 is trash. I'm, I I hate to come out, keep coming out and saying it, but the Pac-12 oh. is trash right now. If you rank the power, they asked me on this morning to rank the Power Five conferences, and the easiest thing for me was to put the Pac-12 at five. You know, um, but here's the reason why Mason Rudolph is is falling is because of his turnovers. Three turnovers on Saturday, two interceptions and one fumble, and and when you look at it, you know he fumbled again. He he fumbled against Tulsa as well in the season opener. The reason why he's fumbling is because he's trying to do things that aren't in his skill set. There was one play, I don't know if you saw the game, there was one play where he just heaved it to throw it away, and the ball didn't even go out of bounds. I mean, it could have been intercepted, because when you throw the ball away, you you want that ball to land in the third row of the, of the stands. Mm-hmm. It still landed in bounds. He's, he's not making decisions under pressure that are great decisions. Under pressure, he's making decisions that make you go, what in the world was going through your mind? And and people look at the Heisman Trophy candidates. Under pressure, are you giving yourself the opportunity to win games? And even though you don't win, for example, Lamar Jackson, do you give your team the opportunity? Mm-hmm. And when you're giving the ball away, like a Sam Darnold, you're giving the ball away, like what we've seen in Mason Rudolph, the Heisman voters see that. And when these polls come out, they're like, Dude, Mason Rudolph is a talent, but he gave the ball away three times on Saturday, and they lost. That's why he's fallen. My question for you, Matt, was the the entire time we were leading up to the season, um, there was a a term that you used, and that was Mason Rudolph is the 
best NFL prospect right. quarterback in the Big 12. Does that still hold true for you? For sure. Okay. I, I think so. And the, the same reason Sam Darnold is still the overall top quarterback prospect in college football is it, it's it's based off of the the word prospect means potential. Mm-hmm. And when you look at you look at Mason Rudolph's arm strength and and you you look at his size, NFL executives are going to fall in love with that. And they're those NFL executives they're going to say, hey, we're going to take this kid and we're going to teach him to make better decisions. We're, we're, he's not going to have to scramble as much in the NFL. We're going to put an offensive line around him. He's going to be a pocket passer. Um, so that doesn't change at all. I will tell you that I do consider Baker Mayfield a better pro prospect than I did coming into this season based off of arm strength. Baker Mayfield's arm strength has increased from two seasons ago to last season to this season. Kid has a cannon, and and he's, he's worked. He's, he's put on a lot in the weight room. Yeah, he's worked mm-hmm. to develop that arm strength, and I think Which, that's – What's going to get him more of a look? I, I, Baker Mayfield, to me, has gone from being a late-round free agent signee to a mid-round draft pick. I thought it was funny because I was watching the broadcast of Baylor and Oklahoma. And I know we're not talking about Oklahoma at this point anymore, but Baker Mayfield's name has surfaced. So I'm going to throw this out there. And they said standing next to him on the field, he's built like a running back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's not a typical comment that you say of a quarterback, but when it's a mobile quarterback, come on, is it really that big of a surprise? A guy who is willing to put it all on the line when it matters most and take that hit, he's got to be built like a running back right. because he's not going to shy away from contact, whereas uh, typically you would see, um, who's that kid that's playing at Florida State? I, I don't know his name. Right. Um, weighs 168 pounds. Yeah. I'm like, he's going to get snapped yeah. into Well, and because Florida State has done a hit. terrible job of protecting quarterbacks. So. I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the odds are that that kid does not survive the season healthy. You know, he's going to miss a game or two, and then, and then Florida State's going to be at QB3. Um, he, Baker Mayfield is going to struggle with the same thing that all the other quarterbacks in his mold have struggled with. You know, whether it's Robert Griffin III, Johnny Manziel in recent years, is he, he, he can't run around in the NFL – like he does in college, and so they're they're going to have to tame him in the NFL. And I I, I don't know I, I you know again age difference here. Doug Flutie is the guy that they were able to tame. Not initially. Doug Flutie came into the NFL with the Chicago Bears and did all the things that he did at Boston College, and he left the NFL because they they just we can't use you playing like that. Mm-hmm. So then he goes to to Canada and becomes a star. And he comes back into the NFL, and he has a decent career. A on decent his, career. On his second time De- around. Flutie's one of the most recognizable <laughs> so, names. I'm just saying, <laughs> some guys can make that swap. Yeah. But the fact that we have to go all the way back to Doug Flutie makes you think, man, it, it's, hard. it's, we it's hard. Well, who, who, I feel like I mean, Russell Deshaun, Wilson played that. Yeah, Wisconsin. Russell Wilson might be a good example. I don't I, think I'm he not, was as mobile as what we've seen out of Johnny Manziel, Baker. Right. Deshaun Watson well, may be an option. You know, Deshaun Watson's still running a lot, mm-hmm. but he he may he have has to. Right, well, it's a different story yeah. in, in um, Houston. So, but that's going to be Baker's struggle. But I definitely think, I definitely think, if a guy like Johnny Manziel can get a shot, there's no reason why Baker can't. Right. Just hopefully it's not with Cleveland. <laughs> you know, hopefully it's not in a situation like that, mm-hmm. and you don't have the party life with uh, with Baker that you have with Johnny. Now, here's what I want to know, though. Uh, and I apologize to OSU to the OSU portion of, of the podcast. Um, but real quick, uh, we'll come back to OSU in just a second. Real fast, um, Baker Mayfield's antics, planting the flag in Columbus. You forgot who your daddy is last week in Waco, the personal foul. And then after the personal foul, still taunting the crowd when he throws the touchdown. Does that wear on you? I mean, is that do you do you, do you, do you does that factor into you at all? If if you were a Heisman voter, it would you put any weight on that? It doesn't. And the reason why I say that is because all of those antics happen across the nation. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield's just been in the spotlight for three years. I mean, two years ago he finished fourth in the Heisman race. Last year it was third. Of course, we have the question marks this year. He has that spotlight on him, which is why people are so critical. But that stuff happens everywhere. Right. Um, whether we're willing to admit that or not, think about um, North Carolina. Didn't North Carolina come in and beat Florida State? Knock them out of the rankings this weekend? Yeah. North Carolina comes in, and what happens? People are. Was it NC State? NC State, yeah. Yeah. 
That's what I said, right? North Carolina yeah, State? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you just left off the state. Oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> NC State comes in, and there are players being filmed spitting on the Seminole. Right. Um, I, I get it. It's not planting a flag there, but how is that not considered taunting someone? Mm-hmm. Um, it is very much so. And again, it doesn't get as much media coverage because it's, I can't tell you that player's name. There's right. video of it. Right. What did it show up on ESPN? Yeah, but it's not something that's going to continuously be talked about. Um, needless to say, does it weigh on me? Absolutely not. Um, and I don't think it should have any bearing. Um, cause what we're looking for is the best college football player. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the antics are. Right. And I, I think that the the one caveat to that, the one way, – wait a minute. There's one thing we need to point out here is drawing the 15-yard penalty. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, that's where Lincoln Riley is going to say, look, dude, and you did, can't hurt did the Did he not have a, a total earful? No, he didn't. Yes, he – No. Even if you – go, go back Matt. to what Lincoln Riley said after the game. Lincoln Riley said, hey, what's best for our team at that moment? I've got to do what's best for our team. Is is the best thing for our team for me just to unload on Baker Mayfield? Or is the best thing for our team for me to get set up for the next play? They, and, and they got set for the next play. And the next play was a touchdown. No, no, but no, Lincoln Riley when said. When he came to the sideline, Baker Mayfield was walking. And Lincoln Riley came up right behind him. Oh, I know. I know. But, I but know I'm is, saying. Is, is but, Baker Mayfield here's my question. is being turned around by Lincoln here's Riley. Here's my question, though. Was that was that as severe as what would have happened if the last name was Stoops? I don't know. Because I, I don't think it was. I, I, I think Lincoln Riley's going to talk to Baker this week. And Lincoln Riley even said after the game, I'll get him. You know, meaning it's going to happen. And I think, I, I think when you look at the play in the flag, when you look at what happens on Twitter and Instagram, you, you look at what happened in pregame. That's all Baker Mayfield. You you got to take Baker Mayfield for who he is. Mm-hmm. You can't remove a part of it. He you either have all of Baker Mayfield or you don't have any of Baker Mayfield. In my opinion, and that's why I was I was opposed to the apology after Ohio State because that that apology was not Baker Mayfield, and he proved it afterwards by saying, "Yeah, I don't regret it. I'd do it again." But when you cost your team 15 yards, at that point, that's when I step in, and that's why we'll see Lincoln Riley mm-hmm. step in and say, "Dude, you've got to you got to keep it." Right. Under check. All right, we we got to do justice here and go back to Oklahoma hey, State. Yeah, I was going to ask a question about Oklahoma State. Um, And really with this loss, I think there's always a lot of pressure on teams going undefeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you've got a quarterback like Mason Rudolph, when you've got receivers like James Washington, you've got Eatman out there, NFL caliber talent all over the field, Justice Hill in the backfield, they're loaded on the offensive side of the ball. There's no questions about that. But going ahead – um, I don't want to say taking a loss because no team sets out to lose right. any game of the season. That's not the objective. Um, but with that loss, does it take a lot of the pressure off of them? And will we see a team that comes into, say, the Bedlam game um, with this new tenacity? I think it adds more pressure. And, and here's the reason why. Um, first of all, I, I think when you, when you go back to this loss, you have to acknowledge the offensive line. The offensive line was the key to this loss taking place, particularly the right side of the line where they're down two starters. Now one starter is out for the season. That, I mean, the, the fact that TCU could limit Oklahoma State's rushing attack without without doing anything special. They, they didn't have to. They didn't have to play more hats, so to speak, to stop the run game. The fact that they were able to get pressure on Mason Rudolph without doing anything special. They didn't have to put designated blitz packages. They didn't have to disguise blitzes. They were just able to get it under a normal scheme because of the weakness of the offensive line. That's what kind of limited what Oklahoma State could do. But I still think throughout this game, you saw that the moment – was bigger than this Oklahoma State team. Not just with the players, but with the coaches. Think about this from, from this perspective. Oklahoma State finally gets going there late in the second half, and they're within arm's reach of TCU. They've got the ball. Mason Rudolph has gotten in stride. He's got good chemistry with the receivers all of a sudden. Rhythm, I guess, is the word to use there. And what do they do? They do a reverse pass where you've got a receiver throwing downfield. Instead of your... All-American Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. And and it's picked off. The moment was bigger than the, than the team. And they felt the pressure of needing to win because of all the preseason accolades, because everyone's saying they're, they're a playoff team. Sports Illustrated picking to win the Big 12. 
put him in. You put him in. I mean, you've got all that going. Now think about from this perspective. The only way you still have any hope at all is to beat Oklahoma in Bedlam. Remember, we've, we talked about this. The pressure was not Bedlam 1. The pressure was going to be Bedlam 2 mm-hmm. and the Big 12 championship game. Well, that's not true anymore for Oklahoma State. The pressure is Bedlam 1 because you can't have any hope at all for Bedlam 2 unless you win Bedlam 1. You lose Bedlam 1, you're done. You're back to the Alamo Bowl. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I think the pressure is on. And, I, and what I'm going to watch for this Saturday night in Lubbock which Lubbock is is not a fun place to play, especially at night. Weird things happen, but I want to see how do they handle the pressure because they they actually they had there is no room for error anymore on this team, and and I think uh, I think we're I'm ready to say Texas Tech is better than what I gave them credit for a month ago, but they're still not in that they should not be in that same category as Oklahoma State, right? Unless yeah. Oklahoma State. Can't handle the pressure. Well, we we've definitely, um, and I don't think it's just us. We've separated the Big Twelve into thirds. I'm mm-hmm. um, saying this is the upper echelon. Um, I think TCU has crept into that when I said it was a a two horse race. TCU's definitely solidified themselves as part of that right. top three. Then you've got you know Kansas State, West Virginia, West Virginia Iowa State. I think you'd put Texas Tech. In there yeah. at this See, point. and that's a, that's where that's a, that's a great conversation. Top three: Oklahoma, TCU, Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, our Big Twelve Power Rankings will come out uh, tonight. But I mean, when you look at that middle section, I think it's deeper than three because I think I think no, no, you no, have not, to give I'm Texas even at three. one and two. You have to give Texas some credit there. I think Texas Tech, Iowa look, State, Kansas State. Matt, I'm saying the middle could be all but Kansas and Baylor. I'm still not ready to put Baylor out of the middle. Uh, I, I mean, say I, into the middle. what Coach Rule's doing there, um, he's approaching things the right way. I'll give him that. I, I will tell you, I agree, and I will tell you, spoiler alert, on my power rankings, Baylor's no longer 10. Hey, there you go. That's that, that turkey. Go. Uh, that's all you're going to find out um, until you read the post. But yeah. Baylor's no longer 10 on my power rankings. Hey, we got to go. We're, we're, we're over time real fast. Um, thoughts Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Saturday night in Lubbock. Uh, just you don't have to give me a score prediction, but I can give you a score prediction. but does Oklahoma State right the ship? I, I do think Oklahoma State bounces back with a loss, kind of puts things into perspective for them. They know the areas that they need to work on moving forward. Specifically, you had mentioned the offensive line, which I think was their greatest weakness. Limiting turnovers would be weakness number two. Um, they're going to head into Lubbock, the Twilight Zone, if you will. Um, just expect it to be a rowdy crowd. Um, I think they'll be ready to play, and I do think they win that one by at least two scores, if two not three. Scores. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I want to jump I'm, on that. I'm not on board with Texas Tech being as good as everybody thinks they are. Well, I watched them for the very first time this mm-hmm. weekend. I watched them against Houston, and I don't believe Houston is a slouch. I, I believe if Houston was in the Big 12, which they should be. I don't think Houston is the team they were last year. No, they're not the team they were last year, but if they were in the Big 12, they would be in that middle section. Okay. For sure, and then we're okay. talking, we're talking about that's where TCU belongs. I mean, te- uh, Texas Tech belongs, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, I, 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 Houston's not. I mean, Texas Tech was impressive, particularly defensively against Houston. Um, well, Matt, I also picked Oklahoma State to win by like twenty points. Well, over TCU. That's, yeah, I, I, saw me, that I, yeah I, I saw that on your Friday. I saw that. I was like, uh, so, I don't know. Okay, um, I think well, that's it's. What a, I, I said it on the podcast. I had to stick with it. Yeah, it's it's a so limited limited slate of Big Twelve games this weekend. Texas at Iowa State, Baylor at Kansas State, and then Oklahoma State, Texas Tech to, to close it out. I Baylor, think it's going to be a fun. Gonna be I think all these games are going to be fun. I, I don't. I don't think Texas and Iowa State's going to be uh, a blowout either side of the ball. I, I, I think I think that's a three to seven point game. I think Baylor, what they've got rolling, can they take that into mm-hmm. Kansas State? Kansas State's new, coming off a loss. Yeah, new confidence. Yeah, from so um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's going to be a fun a fun weekend um, in the Big Twelve this weekend, just to see what what happens. And they're all nationally televised games: ESPN for Texas, uh, ESPN two for Baylor, and then Oklahoma State on Fox. So uh, it'll be a fun day to sit down and watch football all day, which is what I do every Saturday. So all right, he's he's Rich. I'm Matt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, catch us Heartland Sports.com on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Um, thanks for listening. Facebook, give us more comments, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great week, everybody.
Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.